Welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud and all of that if you want to. There's more information in the bio. But without any further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest who's a repeat guest for the Lawrence Sport Podcast now. I think the third or fourth time now. Yeah, fourth time, I think. Fourth time. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I think probably the most oh, yeah. the most appearances on the Lawrence Thank Sport Podcast. And it's Taku Yamazaki, who is um, one of the leading, if not the leading, sports lawyer in Japan. He's a Lawrence Sport editorial board member. And I think I've mentioned this on the previous podcast, has been someone who's, who's, who's certainly shaped uh, my understanding of uh, and Lawrence Sport's knowledge base in relation to sports issues globally, but particularly within the Asia region and, and Japan. So, Tak, welcome. Thank you very much. I hear on the grapevine that you've just been appointed as an arbitrator at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Oh, yeah, that's right. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So, previously you were at the FIFA DRC. Yeah. And now you're moving across to um, yep. to CAS. Yep. That's going to be interesting. Yep. <laughs> My role is uh, not really changing, but uh, yeah, I, I uh, am just uh, continuing to uh, contribute to the uh, the creating the uh, uh, creation of the football law. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know appeal court, so yeah. it's gonna be more challenging. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great, and yeah. I think it's great for everyone involved in football um, that they've got someone like you as, as a cast arbitrator. So anyway, how are you doing generally? Yep. Well, the um, obviously um, uh, Tokyo 2020 Olympics is next year, so um, uh, I have been very busy uh, in uh, preparing for the uh, uh, the events, especially in terms of the um, uh, the human rights issues. So um, I have been appointed uh, as a leader of the task force uh, made by the Tokyo Organ- Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee to uh, really eradicate uh, any possible human rights violation at the stadium. So what we are doing uh, as a task force is to uh, create some kind of a guidebook uh, as to kind of how to eradicate or how to prevent uh, those kind of uh, human rights violations in the stadium. And also um, uh, we definitely would like to make a really inclusive atmosphere uh, in the stadiums, and uh, that's also our mission. So uh, it's been exciting. And, and so, what's the um, what's the main focus? I know we spoke earlier about this, and we focused a lot on, you know, when we're talking more, we're talking about wider issues other than just this. But um, you know, we talk. We I think we're both agreed on the importance of education, how important that is. How much is that influencing um, the type of work that you're doing? Yep. Well, the um, so what we are going to do is basically uh, to train. Uh, the staff members at the stadiums, and, and so it, it it will include uh, uh, you know not only uh, volunteer staff or paid staff, but also uh, uh, senior people like the management, uh, managers, uh, or even uh, a senior management. So um, the so just to recap the uh, the ongoing uh, trend about the uh, human rights in the sports industry. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, um, uh, you know, after the scandal of FIFA in 2015, FIFA has, uh, uh, you know, made a, a human rights policy in 2016. And actually, uh, IOC has followed the movement. So what's happening in the sports industry is to 
uh, really focusing on uh, to be really focusing on the uh, eradicating any possible human rights violation, not not only in the stadium but also in any of the supply chains. So, so that is why uh, you know Qatar uh, in uh, you know 2022 World Cup uh, has been you know kind of criticized by you know many of the uh, global stakeholders like Human Rights Watch uh, or the uh, uh, Transparency International in relation to the uh, their uh, practice uh, about uh, to especially towards the uh, migrant workers. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really ongoing trend uh, in the sports industry. Of course Tokyo 2020 uh, you know at the time when uh, they got the uh, hosting rights of the uh, Tokyo 2020 in 2013 this kind of movement was not really active or, you know, active like this. But uh, uh, right now, after that, you know, especially after 2015 or 2016, uh, this trend has um, has gone up. You know, it's uh, it's a it's, yeah, it's, it's become a huge trend. Yeah, yeah. you've seen you've seen this, and we talked about this. I was talking mm. to some human rights lawyers the other day, and they said, right. particularly who focus on the business side yep. of, of of things, and they were saying, you know, it's unsurprising. Uh, given the evolution of sport, the amount of money coming to sport, it has to mature at some point, right? And, and then people have to take responsibility for these things, which otherwise were you know, said to be outside of their control. From to give people an example, what the type of what would be a, a risk? Let's say. Yep. So when you're um, in the stadium, what would be the yep. what's the what's the high risk um, yep. that you're trying to address? Yeah, obviously, uh, the uh, the the most typical one is uh, you know, uh, you know, anti. Uh, you know, homophobia or anti-racism uh, you know, yeah. uh, type of stuff. So like, uh, you know, discriminatory banner or flags in the stadium. And the FIFA has been, you know, really, you know, specialized in this field mm -hmm. because of many, uh, this kind of, many, many, uh, this kind of uh, uh, affairs or the, uh, uh, you know, incidents are happening in uh, European countries. So um, uh, the we had... Uh, uh, you know, kind of big scandal in 2014 uh, in uh, one of the, uh, the Japanese football clubs. So um, the the you know football fans at the stadium uh, raised the uh, the discriminatory uh, banner, and uh, uh, actually um, the club got the stadium banned. But uh, this is the only uh, you know sanction which Japanese clubs have got. Uh, in our history, uh, you know, in all uh, across the sports in, in Japan. So, uh, my point is that the, uh, we are not really familiar with the uh, the current movement uh, happening in the world uh, in relation to the uh, human rights movement, human rights violation. So uh, that is why uh, we really need to educate uh, all kinds of uh, staff members, not only management staff but also uh, volunteer staff. Yeah, and that's going to be quite a learning curve then if yeah. they if they're, if they're not familiar with that concept. There's going to be quite a, that's quite a shift, but right, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we are not really uh, you know diverse, or you know, we are you know such a homogeneous people, <laughs> and uh, unlike the uh, people in, in London, uh, we are not uh, really uh, you know globalized. <laughs> so that's why we need to learn from the uh, you know the actual practices, especially in Europe. Well, there's a great opportunity there, isn't there? Because it's going to be, you know, one of the reasons why most people host an Olympic Games is to improve their international profile. Right, so there's a great opportunity there for hopefully to create more business opportunities, make people feel welcomed, and and so forth. Um, how are, how are the preparations generally going in to for Tokyo at yeah. the moment? There's been a bit of a I know, given the change at the top, 
of uh, the games, there's been a bit of uh, disruption there. But how, how are things moving generally? The, I think the, the preparation so far is uh, very good. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, the uh, Japanese people are, uh, you know, basically really hardworking. And the, uh, so we, we're going to have a new stadium. Uh, which was, you know, it used to be really controversial. <laughs> 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 but anyway, the preparation so far is really good. So um, so that is why I think uh, we need to focus on uh, more, uh, you know, the more about the um, uh, soft uh, power, or soft legacy moving forward mm. after the Olympics. So we, we have a new stadium, which is good, but uh, it's, it's kind of a hard legacy. And uh, so we need to focus on uh, soft legacy. That's why, uh, uh, you know, the task force is very, very important. And, and what would be the, uh, for you, best case scenario, what would be the outcome you would like to see from it all? Like as in, say, for example, you do the, the, your, from your element on the human rights, you do training. Where would you like, where, would, where are we now compared to where you'd like to be after post-games? That's a really great question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> The, uh, so what we, we really want to do, especially uh, after the event, is, um, you know, is to um, get a good, good understanding about the diversity or the, uh, what would be the uh, human rights violations. And the, um, so that is why uh, uh, Tokyo Organizing Committee has set up the uh, Diversity and Inclusion Division uh, you know, to focus on the uh, education or the uh, dissemination about the concept. And actually, um, the, we are creating uh, some kind of a guidebook uh, by September. And actually, uh, we are going to publish it uh, after the event. Of course, maybe before the event. Uh, it's up to the uh, Tokyo Organizing Committee uh, you know, in terms of the uh, security concerns. So some of the contents are uh, really sensitive uh, in terms of the security. But uh, I think uh, uh, you know, we, um, uh, we can... Uh, yeah, what we you know uh, doing actually uh, is to uh, leave the legacy, soft legacy moving forward after the Olympics, uh, to educate uh, people about the uh, the beauty of the uh, accepting uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, or uh, you know something. And, and presumably, you I, I would imagine, given that you know yourself and Nan Sato have, have uh, educated me about the how sport is structured in Japan. The, given the close connection to uh, big business within Japan, um, that there's an opportunity to go far beyond sport and actually start to be more pervasive in, in other sectors. Is that, is that a correct assessment? Yeah, that's right. Oh, good. All right, we'll finish the podcast there. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you learned a lot already. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You've done well, man. <laughs> um, so... Um, one of the things that there's a bunch of things I want, other things I wanted to talk about with you, but uh, just thinking about this with the Rugby World Cup coming, mm -hmm. obviously, is there a dry run at this? Given yeah. that you know the the, the the Rugby World Cup's quite diverse, yeah. um, is there a you know are you hoping to, to to do some pilot stuff around that that's going to go into the games or? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, we have talked about the um, uh, you know that kind of stuff in relation to the uh, Rugby World Cup. So, but, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the Rugby World Cup is an event by World Rugby, not by the IOC. So, uh, World Rugby, of course, uh, you know, they are a really good organization to, you know, uh, to have, a, you know, having an understanding of the, uh, this movement. But they are not really committed uh, to the, um, this kind of actions. So, but, uh, you know, what we are talking about right now, uh, together with the other members of our task force, is to do something uh, in relation to the uh, coming World Cup mm. this year, 
Rugby World Cup. And um, so, um, so actually, uh, uh, the task force is doing two things. One is the, um, uh, of course, uh, we are uh, doing some research uh, about the uh, the past examples, the past cases in, in regarding the uh, human rights violation at the stadium uh, in the uh, uh, Olympics or the uh, the FIFA World Cup. But also, we are doing uh, uh, something like um, a promotion of the. Uh, diversity and an inclusion uh, concept. So for example, uh, what we um, are talking about as an idea uh, is to uh, create a, some kind of flag or some kind of, a, uh, we call it floshiki. You know, uh, you know floshiki is a Japanese uh, wrapping material oh, right, okay. uh, by cloth. And um, so uh, uh, we um, we are planning to, you know, this, this is just an idea. Yeah. It's it's not been uh, confirmed, but uh, uh, you know, this uh, what we are talking about is to uh, uh, give give um, uh, those kind of a material to the spectators, and the uh, at the beginning of the game, uh, you know, everyone uh, shows the flag or shows the uh, uh, what we call floshki to show diversity. Uh, they are you know accepting the uh, uh, all different mm. kinds of people. And if we create those kind of atmosphere at the stadium, you know, no people can really, you know, do, you know, uh, the yeah, discriminatory expressions or the, uh, you know, uh, raise the flag about the uh, homophobia or something okay. like that. So we need to, so we think we need to create such kind of atmosphere. And the, uh, this is something which we can uh, also do. Uh, in the rugby World Cup, so but uh, of course uh, you know it's up to the uh, the organizer, yeah. uh, World Rugby or the uh, organizing committee of the uh, tw- twenty nineteen World Cup, but uh, uh, this is something which we no, definitely want to do. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah. I think, yeah, I would imagine though World Rugby could be quite receptive to that type of thing, right? Uh, generally, because there's some of the other initiatives that they're doing, so it kind of feeds in mm-hmm. or something on those lines. And th- obviously, there's um, you've had quite a, you've had a number of like sort of New Zealand players as well come over from. Obviously, Omar played yep. from the International Players Association, didn't he? He played in Japan for yep. for, for a period. So for, for two years, yes. Yeah, 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 for two years. So so you have that in, in the rugby side. Mm-hmm. Do you have many, um, on the football, do you have many international players come across in, in, in football to Japan? The, the in soccer? The is in, do you have like a, um, the thing about, because obviously the Olympic Games is, and, and these international competitions are so, uh, they're much more diverse mm-hmm. than a regional competition for that, for, for, for the reason they include everyone in the world or mm-hmm. those teams that are, p- right. that are qualified. Um, so f- uh, rugby's obviously, you've got, you've had some international movement. Do you have much international movement from Japanese players? I know we have Japanese players coming to the UK and to other parts of the world and the same in baseball. You mean tour. rugby player? Uh, for football, football. Yeah, yeah. So of course, uh, many Japanese players, uh, you know, transfer into uh, European countries. But the other way, the other way, uh, yeah. The, we have, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Uh, we have Iniesta, or yeah, yeah, Fernando yeah. Torres, and you know, many you know, uh, marquee players. I would say. And so the yeah, and, and also uh, J League, uh, our domestic league, has changed the, its uh, uh, foreign uh, players quota rule. Right. So uh, we are having a more many more. Uh, foreign players in uh, in our league. So yeah, it's been yeah, it's becoming really diversified. Yeah, because yeah. I wonder like so. What's interesting from the UK perspective, and mm-hmm. I know we, we was going to just entertainment this because, <laughs> uh, but from a UK perspective and a European perspective, right, they're always trying to acquire the best Asian talent 
because if they, they're thinking if they can get a Japanese a top Japanese player, it's going to be great for marketing, etc. Mm-hmm. How does the um, the narrative uh, for, for say, for example, in the, the J League or uh, um, yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, how does yeah, it actually, work? yeah, yeah, the the J League uh, strategy is to uh, make it uh, uh, the best Asian league, and uh, we are, you know, as you know, we are competing with the uh, Chinese league. So uh, you know the the money which they have is uh, unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so we cannot uh, really compete uh, uh, with them. But uh, uh, you know, the our strength is uh, in there's no non payment, and <laughs> yeah, all of the this is really important. You know, the um, so many of the uh, the foreign players uh, you know went to uh, who went to uh, the Chinese league uh, had a dispute with the, the Chinese club. Uh, you know, the, they easily. Uh, terminate the contract with uh, unilateral terminate the contract with the just with their just cause. So, but uh, we don't have any, any such kind of problem. And also, uh, you know, the the company Lactem, uh, which is a sponsor of FC Barcelona, and the owner of the uh, Lactem is really keen on having uh, uh, many more foreign players, more key foreign players, uh, by spending a lot of money. Mm. So uh, that's another, you know, that's uh, that's a trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, and also we have a lucrative contract with the uh, online broadcasting company Dozen, and the uh, which you know enriched uh, many of the Japanese clubs. Yeah, and it's been great for Dazone, I think, from what from what I understand as well. So it's really interesting to try and to get a sort of a play for what's going on because obviously you see. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that the, obviously the economic movement and the mm. economic environment how that influences then policy and, and then later law. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, obviously, the, the not obviously, but um, I say obviously because we know it, but not <laughs> everyone listening won't know it. Um, you're one of our mentors on our mentoring yeah. scheme, which we're absolutely delighted to to have you on board for that. Um, did you want to just talk? Do you yeah, mind yeah. just talking about absolutely. that? Yeah, yeah, and the, uh, this is uh, exactly what I was uh, uh, going to talk about because uh, you know uh, I have uh, two mentees uh, from India and Greece, and uh, uh, you know the. Uh, Antarik Shudas uh, from India and uh, Michael Soris from Greece. Uh, they both did a great research for the uh, the task force in, in relation to the uh, the past examples or past cases uh, about the uh, human rights violations at the stadium. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank them uh, for their great job. And actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement ment- mentoring program works really well. And the, uh, yeah, I'm really, really thankful uh, for their eagerness uh, to do something for the, uh, the Tokyo 2020. And also, um, uh, they also did uh, some research for the, uh, uh, my another project uh, with UNICEF. So uh, actually, uh, UNICEF, has, UNICEF Japan has published uh, its uh, principles uh, regarding the, uh, the children's rights. Uh, child athletes' rights uh, in sport, and um, actually, um, the we are uh, doing research uh, about the best practices in the world. So um, uh, they did a really great research, uh, especially uh, you know uh, child protection here in UK, uh, and also uh, we are. Um, uh, also, uh, we we got the information about the uh, the, the best practices in uh, Scandinavian country like uh, Norway. Uh, so uh, yeah, the yeah I'm really thankful for their contribution. And as as, as a mentor, 
Um, what what what's your sort of experience been? So obviously, because it's interesting, we haven't really talked about this in person. So we talked about it over obviously over email, and we spoken briefly on the phone about it. And actually, the last time you were in London, we had a, a, a chat. Um, how have you experienced it? Because one of the things is obviously, which is replicated in the international sports law market, is you're dealing with two people, you're mentoring, but two people in two different countries quite far from where you are how have you found that and uh, what's the challenge but also what opportunities it brought yeah the um the the most uh, uh, exciting point uh, of this program is to you know of course i can uh, you know look back myself at myself and uh, actually uh, what was the uh, the most important element to become really successful in this field so uh, i'm always emphasizing the the fact that uh, the trust is important and rather than chasing the uh, short-term result or the short, uh, you know, the money, uh, you know, the building trust uh, solves the problem. So if you are always trying to, um, uh, you know, build the trust, then uh, uh, you can get the big asset, you know, by making a connection and the, uh, making a good relationship uh, with the stakeholders in this industry. And, and that's a game changer. Uh, and actually, uh, yeah, this is, uh, uh, I think, uh, something which all, all of the lawyers in this industry uh, have to understand. Mm. Uh, you know, because, you know, even in Japan, uh, you know, our industry is not big enough uh, to have a sports lawyer. But, uh, uh, you know, I have been working for uh, this industry for more than 20 years uh, based on my experience. Uh, anyway, trust is very, very important. Yeah. On that, um, yeah. we never really spoke about this on the podcast before, but you gave, so at last year's um, induction for the mentees, um, you spoke about how you got into the sports or space. Do you want to just go around <laughs> for that story again? Because that was brilliant <laughs> in a sense of, but I also think the wonderful thing about it, not to sort of, you know, build, build you up too much, um, but the wonderful thing about it is it is truly replicated. Everyone I speak to, and we speak to people all in, in Africa, Asia, South America, Caribbean, like, Everywhere it's replicated that same, you know, same experience. So, do you want to just? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, uh, to uh, you know, make a long, really long story very, very short. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I started uh, working for this industry, and uh, I was, uh, you know, just a baseball fan, and actually, uh, uh, I was, um, I just wanted to uh, become uh, an agent for uh, baseball players. But uh, you know, uh, representing athletes or representing baseball lawyer, uh, baseball players were prohibited. <laughs> was prohibited at the time by the owners. And actually, uh, uh, I was trying to um, uh, you know solve the problem. And the, I was I have to be really creative uh, in making uh, coming up uh, with the solution. The one of the uh, the solutions I came up with is to have um, meeting with uh, the president of the Japanese uh, Players Association. And um, he was a really brilliant guy. And actually, uh, I um, uh, talked about the idea of you know, how we can change the, the situation. And actually, uh, he loved the idea. And actually, he gave me his mobile phone number. <laughs> it's just such an exciting moment. Uh, oh, the, the, this famous guy gave me his mobile, mobile so, so he, Sorry, so yeah. understand that he yeah. was the head of the player association, but yeah. he was also a player, right? Player. In the sense he's a so very he's like famous player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, the I, um, I of course, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, the you know, take the chance uh, to really, you know, uh, make the result. 
And actually, uh, uh, the strategy I came up with is to hold a, a symposium uh, to the public uh, to talk about the uh, unreasonableness uh, about the uh, treatment of the baseball players. Because at that time, you know, even though um, uh, baseball uh, players were uh, prohibited uh, from uh, uh, being represented by agent, uh, football uh, players you know, can, could easily have uh, uh, you know, agents. It's not prohibited. And also uh, foreign players, foreign baseball players, you know, uh, could, uh, you know, use <laughs> agents. It's a really unreasonable uh, reason, uh, you know, why uh, uh, the, they were imposing such kind of uh, uh, restriction. So um, then uh, if we, um, uh, you know, make, uh, you know, I thought that it, if we made it public, um, you know, we could uh, get, uh, you know, more, attention on the uh, more support to the prayers. Then uh, it was really successful. The, we did the symposium uh, uh, in, at the end of the, uh, 1999, and the, uh, there was a um, uh, former Major League Baseball player. Uh, uh, you know, he said that uh, it's really absolutely unreasonable, and if you look at the uh, uh, MLB, American Baseball, the labor union was really strong, and uh, why don't you do that? Why don't you become, uh, you know, such kind of organizations? You, you should uh, hire a lawyer. You should hire uh, more <laughs> specialists, economists, or something like that. And uh, it, it was uh, his suggestion. And actually, um, uh, the president of the, uh, the Japanese Baseball Players Association was so influenced uh, by his suggestions. Then uh, uh, he decided to hire me as a lawyer uh, for the Japanese Players Association. Uh, you know, um, you know <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's it's really kind of strange. Uh, you know, the labor union of the uh, Japanese baseball players didn't have any lawyer, <laughs> legal <laughs> counsel at the time. Yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, uh, yeah, that is why uh, I became a, a sports lawyer. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love that because like yeah. the the, um, the things that you can take from that, which I still think is true yeah. uh, to to this day. To yeah. you know, is that. One, take the opportunity. If yeah. you can be helpful to someone, and this is something we we, we you know Absolutely. we talk yeah. about all the time. If you could be helpful to someone, offer your help. Yeah. Like you know, don't don't just money will follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. Nick DeMarco talked about this in the podcast mm. as well, and, and many other people have is saying that you know I speak to um, a whole bunch of people on various different things. We're our crewman division now as well, yeah. and you know the number of people who are just looking for for they've actually got a great skill set. Often, you know, they've got they've got things to offer. Mm -hmm. They don't think they're not thinking in terms of how can I help people or what mm -hmm. can I do to to reduce a burden off someone or advance yeah. someone. They're just thinking how can I get a job. Yeah. And that that sort of more transactional thinking doesn't doesn't actually uh, create opportunities for them. But when people take that opportunity like you do, and uh, obviously not exploit the fact that you knew the, the one of the top baseball players, right? You, 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 that's the trust point you were talking yeah. about. You know. Um, it creates a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, that's why uh, I, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, this concept is really universal. And, uh, it, uh, you know, of course, uh, it's not only uh, in Japan. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, really universal. That's why I talked about this concept uh, to the mentees uh, based on the, uh, this program. And uh, they understood it, and uh, that's why uh, they were, you know, really keen on uh, uh, doing something. Uh, and so, so one of the things... Uh, following on from that, though, the cultural aspect in Japan, which again I'm not, I'm super interested in, but don't, not that knowledgeable of. Hopefully, I'll get to go at some point. Um, no, you learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> lot, lots more to learn. <laughs> but the, um, from what I understand, though, given the 
the nature of Japanese culture, right? Going against the grain is not something that is uh, that well received, right? So how was that received? Because you were doing something that was essentially almost, you could argue, was almost like anti-establishment or um, a way of like activism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. And the, uh, uh, that's why I became an enemy in this industry <laughs> from the management. But, uh, you know, uh, if we continue, you know, to do the same, then uh, you know they will understand, and the uh, you know, the, you know sooner or later it will change because it's a global movement. So um, yeah, that's why um, uh, I'm really happy we're doing this uh, for uh, more than 20 years. So uh, you know, the, like uh, you know, looking back uh, 10 years ago, uh, I used to have more enemies <laughs> than now. But uh, you know, right now it's you know becoming. It kind of okay. Yeah, well, do you think that, that <laughs> yeah. and this is a good point to make, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what, what my assessment of this, which is, again, if you're in a market where people just see that, that, that they don't understand the value you create, right? So whether you're players, they don't understand the value you bring because they go, oh, we're just paying you, you do what you're told, or whatever, or someone's trying to control the clubs, or someone's trying to control a league or a federation, or a sports lawyer is trying to control the sports law market, right, for example, that over time, eventually you understand that if you can have the, your, the people with a shared interest with you, right, that you are going to create more value overall and therefore it makes more incentivization. So you're more incentivized to work together and that collaboration. But initially you've got to sort of at least understand each other's position. Yep. And, that take, and that's probably where you said that global movement probably helped. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, actually, um, the you know I used to be um, a big enemy in 2009 uh, against the J League because uh, you know I started working for the uh, Japanese Football Players Association in 2008, and the, I got uh, involved in the uh, FIFRO activities uh, from 2009. And actually, uh, you know uh, I was absolutely enemy from the uh, J League or the Japanese Federation. But after that, I became the uh, the ba- deputy chairman of FIFRO Division Asia, and also I became the chairman of the uh, Division Asia. And the, uh, so right now, based on my position right now, uh, I have an opportunity to meet with those kind of people at the uh, conference of the, the AFC or FIFA. Then, uh, you know, they you know, kind of change uh, their attitude. And also, uh, I'm really thankful for the current movement about the stakeholder engagement. Mm. So FIFA has started, uh, you know, emphasizing the uh, importance of a stakeholder engagement in any of the uh, decision-making process. And that's why I, you know, I, I become less, you know, kind of enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, a, you know, that's a really good thing. That's also, yeah, interesting because yeah, you can yeah. contribute. And then, uh, again, the people have to listen then, right? If you're part of that group, they have to listen. Um, that's really interesting. And then you also, you, when we spoke before, you've talked about, which I think is really cool, is the, um, the setting up the National Dispute Resolution Chambers uh, in football, which is, seems like a very good thing. You know, the fact you can get some consistency uh, and stability, particularly around you saying unpaid players, yep. which is a big issue. How's how's that how's that developing? Yeah, so we have uh, uh, four ongoing projects: uh, Philippines, South Korea, uh, India, and uh, Thailand. And also, uh, we had uh, two countries from Asia: Malaysia and Indonesia. So Indonesia and Malaysia have completed the project, and also uh, they are holding the uh, workshop uh, next month. Uh, I mean, July. Uh, I'm, I'm going to going there. Uh, to talk about the uh, prayers rights or the how NDSU works and the how good it is uh, for the uh, uh, good governance in football. And, and yeah, of course, uh, this uh, uh, seminar or workshop will be held by FIFA. Uh, 
about the uh, uh, you know they involve many kinds of different kinds of stakeholders like FIFRO, uh, like AFC or something like that. So it's really great uh, uh, you know activities. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, well, there's two things. One, are you going to the baseball in London? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Great. Well, I hope yeah. you enjoyed the game. Yeah. So, secondly, I was going to say that. <laughs> so just thinking about that we, when you were talking about the when we spoke about earlier, but the. Uh, when you were talking about the, you know, working in baseball, I was like, of course, yep. the baseball game's on. You're not just here to see me. <laughs> the um, <Yep. laughs> disappointed Yankees and <laughs> Boston Red Sox. Yeah. It's going to be great. It will yeah. be great. I didn't, I didn't get to organise tickets or anything in the time because, because my second child got born, I just got distracted. Um, the um, what I wanted to ask you is, if you were to give advice in particular to maybe Asian lawyers, but also though to people working in the say underdeveloped markets. If your time was coming again, right? Say you were in, maybe say Indonesia, right, or other parts of the world. This is a as you just mentioned there, right? And they don't have a, a thriving market for lawyers in sport. What what advice would you give them? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Of course, uh, you know, as I said, the uh, you know the trust is really important. You know, in uh, I think in any countries. And also, uh, you know, if of course, so like Indonesia, it's really you know they have a lot of population, and the, uh, uh, they have they already have um, a big football, uh, you know, league. So uh, they they are really keen on uh, uh, you know uh, supporting sport. So uh, uh, I think the it's a matter of time. So the, the their market will grow. Uh, and also, uh, uh, you know, the number of the sports lawyers will increase. But again, uh, the most important thing is not to, you know, seek short-term short result, like uh, just short-term money or, you know, short-term uh, titles or fame. I think the, uh, uh, you know, sh you know the proving uh, the ability to contribute to the industry is very very important. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. The um, I was speaking to someone the other day who who's who basically got was telling me that they uh, were good at what they. I'm trying to think. I think they worked at the UN. Speaking to a couple of people who worked at the UN, they were saying they did a great job, and then everyone started coming to them going, "Can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? Can you do this for us?" And all of a sudden, before you know it, they're managing these really uh, big projects for the UN. And they never had an intention of doing that, but it was the the output. And you see this in business; they say the same thing, right? When you're running a business or you're working uh, in any organisation, do a great job. If you do a great job, you, the people will start to hear. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, the uh, what I learned uh, from you and a guy is that uh, uh, you know we need to uh, take two different type of approach. One is the top-down approach, and the other is a bottom-up approach. Those the, the the combination of these two approaches is very very important. This is about the good governance. So good governance is cannot only, uh, you know, the in order to realize a good governance, uh, of course a top down approach is very very important. But uh, 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 at the same time, bottom approach means bottom up approach means uh, capacity building. You know, of course, uh, you know, the we you know in a, you know sports industry. It's, it's really kind of a centralized uh, governance model. So FIFA and IOC uh, can legislate uh, the regulation uh, which applies to, to the uh, uh, any uh, all of, uh, all kinds of uh, countries. Uh, you know the you know regarding this, the uh, uh, they can easily take a top-down approach 
but uh, uh, we also need to look at the, uh, the bottom-up approach. Uh, we need to focus on uh, capacity building, uh, you know, because otherwise they just, you know, ju they just going to be really passive in receiving direction from the uh, international federation like FIFA or IOC without uh, being able to or without uh, having a chance to improve their skill. So uh, capacity building is very, very important. So uh, th that is why uh, I'm really focusing on uh, capacity building uh, as a FIFRO uh, uh, Asia's uh, chairman. Uh, and also uh, uh, in doing the NDRC project, I'm also um, emphasizing the importance of the uh, capacity building. So you mean education and participation, right? So, yeah. so as much education as possible, much opportunity. You also talked about some, some great stuff you're doing in terms of the wider sports business community in Japan. Is that part of that as well, which is the... Um, oh, for, forgive me for that. And why is it? I think it's it's not just you. It's everyone I interview, but I can't remember the name now. You told me the 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 you know you're bringing um, new new people to the market together to network in Japan. What was yeah. what's it called? Sorry, uh, Sports Business Academy. Yeah, is that yeah. simple? Yeah. I thought I thought there was an extra. I thought there was a fourth fourth yeah. word in there. But Sports Business Academy is that 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 concept, right? Yeah, you're bringing that. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. Capacity building. So we are really focusing on the capacity building and also creating a community. So, of course, uh, you know, I have been, you know, doing uh, uh, this job for 20 years, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, uh, uh, I, I don't want to be uh, really kind of a teacher. You know, we are all colleagues, you know, we are all friends. Uh, we are all, you know, people belonging to the same community. So I think that's the uh, atmosphere I have to, I want to create. So, you know, there's no, you know, inferior or superior mm. people in this industry. So we are all friends to really, uh, to realize the uh, good governance in sports industry to make uh, every single people happy. Well, I would say that, that, that one of the things I always, I'm always jealous of people coming into the industry is they've got a fresh pair of eyes. So, you know, like when you first come in, you can see things that maybe people who have been in the industry for too long are too distracted with other things to see. And it's just like such a blessing, I think, to have that. Like, you know, when you come in a fresh, and I said this to people's and saying, they look at me and I'm a bit crazy. Because they're like, I'm desperate to work in this sector. I'm like, you're so fortunate right now. Because once, you, you know, you can find where it was like Kevin with the match fixing side of things or uh, Dan Wallach in, the, in America on the sports betting. You know, you get to see, you know, you get to focus your attention on something that maybe other people aren't doing or you with the with the player side of things. It's wonderful. Um, where are you off to next? So you normally come into London and then you're like, you, I think you, you and Jeff Bender probably fly the most out of everyone <laughs> I know yeah. you're most of the time in the end. I'm going to the uh, final of the uh, Women's World Cup. Oh, amazing. Yeah, in, uh, in Lyon. Oh, great. Week, yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. That's, gonna, that's been a big, big success, I think, um, by, by, by the looks yeah. of things. How is the uh, player representation for women football? Because I know that um, FIFA probably did more on that. Yep, yep. But so from 2015, uh, FIFA has started the uh, supporting uh, female players. Now, you know, uh, this is uh, one of the, our main priorities. And actually, uh, we started organizing uh, Japanese female players as well. And uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, there's no um, uh, collective representation uh, from Asia uh, for the female players. But, uh, you know, sooner or later, you know, of course, uh, uh, I think uh, Korean female players will follow. And also, uh, in if you look at the, uh, the this World Cup, uh, we have a team from China, and also Thailand as well, uh, and of course Australia. Uh, Australia has been, you know, organized organized mm. already, uh, but the uh, 
Yeah, so there, yeah, there are a lot of things to do, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, the representation of female prayer is growing. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be really interesting because I remember Alexandra um, from FIFPO was speaking um, at our conference and was talking about excellent what they're doing in South America and how that's helped develop the game right. already, like sped up the process, particularly in Argentina, they were saying, you know, bringing people together, the community aspect. On that, um, I'm going to draw it to a close, but thanks so much for your time as always. I love I love seeing you generally. I love it when you, you know, you've popped by for the podcast. I really appreciate it. I said, every time I feel enriched because I don't, and I, then I feel encouraged to go and research Japan because, <laughs> uh, or Asia more broadly. I think, you know, it's one of the, some of the feedback we're getting. We need to do more uh, to cover developments in the region. And so thank you for your support as always for, for helping with that. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thank everyone. you very much. Yeah, bye. Well, that's all we have time for for this show. So thanks for tuning in. Remember, for all the latest legal developments and analysis from the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com, follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and obviously go to lawinsport.com. Uh, if you would like us to cover a particular issue or area, please let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at lawinsport. You can follow me at SPCACTT. Other than that, have a great morning lunchtime, evening, depending on when you tune in. Uh, and thanks for your support.